Hey, all you code gigs out there. Welcome to another episode where we're going to talk about something that many people have been asking me, and I have talked about it in the past. And they say, Paul, will you describe your thoughts on misfeasus, malfeasus, and nonfeasus, and how this plays in decision making for electrical inspectors, building officials, uh, electricians, being that I have been all of the above for the most part? Um, what my thoughts on this and is it just because something is acceptable to the AHJ, that's authority having jurisdiction, and you know it's not in code compliance with the minimum safety standard, but they say it's okay. Who's at risk here? Are you at risk? Is the electrical inspector at risk? Is the building official at risk? Who's assuming the risk here? What is misfeasus, malfeasus, and nonfeasus? And how does that play into our decision-making role as an electrician, as an electrical inspector, and ultimately as a building official who is ultimately the AHJ? Well, that's what we're going to talk about in today's episode of Electrician Live. You're listening to Electrician Live with your host, Paul Abernathy. Well, welcome to the show again, and I want to thank all the listeners out there who have again caused our podcast to have over 300,000 unique listens. Uh, we appreciate that. Again, all of those that follow us over on our YouTube channel, appreciate that as well. If you're not familiar with that, just go over to YouTube and look for Master the NEC, or you can go to youtube.com forward slash Master the NEC. Of course, you could go to our website, which is masterthenec.com. Uh, or electrocodeacademy.com, and you simply go to the top and you'll see where it says YouTube. You click on the link, but you'll see all of our other social media platforms there as well. We encourage you to join in and contribute, be a part of the family here at Electrical Code Academy. Okay, so today's episode, many people know that through the years I've been uh, an electrical inspector, electrical engineer too, plans examiner, uh, worked as uh, the AHJ assigned authority for jurisdictions. And again, you probably heard me talk about this in the past because I think a couple years ago I did kind of an episode on misfeasance, malfeasance. So if you haven't figured, as in the intro, today's topics are going to be about responsibility, doing the right thing, and misfeasance, malfeasance, and nonfeasance, and minimalizing the importance of the National Electrical Code. Because I hear this on podcasts all the time, and there's a difference between an educational podcast and an entertainment value podcast. If a podcast brings you information, it's educational in, in its intent, then it's an educational podcast. If it's basically a podcast that just is entertainment that might bring some value, but overall it's just entertainment, then that's what it is, and you need to take that for what it is. So there is a different difference. Both are valued. Both bring something to the table, but they're two different things, okay? Now, let's kind of get back to the topic. So uh, what, come, what brought this up is a question that was presented to me where somebody said, look, if I do something in an installation and I know that it's not code, yet the inspector accepts it, and gives their approval, does that mean that I'm off the hook? And there's two ways to look at that. But before we can even analyze that, to, in order to give some deeper scenarios than that, because that is kind of where the question started, let's make sure we understand key things that are really important. 
We need to look at the definitions, and we're always going to use Merriam-Webster. We're going to look at the definitions of misfeasus, malfeasus, and nonfeasus. And we'll kind of give some synonyms to that so that you can apply those. So if you're an electrical inspector, you're just getting into that, that profession. Uh, maybe you're migrating from being an electrician, and now you got to wear a different hat because instead of doing the installations, now you're going to be um, inspecting the installations. And again, it's totally different hat, totally different mindset. Um, you don't want to go into that saying, well, this is the way I did it for 30 years, so this is how I'm inspecting it. No, you're going to follow the minimum safety standard. You really don't want to impose your own personal wills beyond the minimum safety standard. If they want to go above and beyond, that's fine. But your job is to enforce the minimum safety standard. That's whatever the National Electrical Code would be or any amendments that might be germane to your jurisdiction. Okay, um, And you might not agree with those amendments, but they are amendments if they're adopted by your jurisdiction. So you follow those amendments. You can have an opinion. You can disagree, but they are what they are. Okay, so let's get back to, the, to what we're talking about. So let's talk about definitions. Now, the first one we'll look at is nonfeasance. And, of course, we'll make sure that we're pronunciating the word right. Okay, nonfeasance. It is failure to act. Failure to do what ought to be done. So in the sense of a building official, Let's talk about that. Now, the synonyms for nonfeasance is default, diligency, uh, uh, delinquency, excuse me, dereliction of duty, failure, neglect, negligence, oversight. So as a building official, you have to make decisions. And through the years, I've had some really good building officials I've worked with, and I've had some really bad building officials I've worked with. And when you're Dealing with something non-feasance, uh, this is a situation where, let's say you're an electrical inspector and you bring an issue to your jurisdiction uh, and you make this issue known. And maybe you're really involved in the code development process. Maybe you go to meetings all the time. You really have a good grasp. You're making very solid interpretations of the National Electrical Code and local amendments and jurisdictions. And you, you run into a situation. The electrician's doing something. You do an inspection. You know that it's wrong. And you bring this to your jurisdiction. And you bring it to your jurisdiction. And because it could cause waves, because it could cause controversy, maybe it's a big builder. And maybe he's rattling the saber uh, of the mayor or the city manager or somebody. So as a building official, you're looking at your livelihood. And you end up saying... Okay, I'm going to ignore this. Um, and so something happens. And what happened is, baby, basically, you took a observation of something. You listened to what somebody told you who has knowledge specifically to this in situation. And you failed to do anything. You failed to act on it. You failed to do the right thing. So that is nonfeasance. It's failure to do what ought to be done to make it right. Maybe you swept it under the table. You were neglect. You're a failure. Now, because that inspector brought this to your attention, you're very aware of the situation. You just failed to act on this situation. And then, of course, something happens, something burns down, something. Then, to me, you are liable because you were educated. You failed to act on that situation. Okay? So that's nonfeasance and how we have to deal with nonfeasance. So the next one we want to look at 
is misfeasance. And misfeasance is, again, so we can get pronunciations right, is misfeasance is, for example, to perform an lawful action in an illegal, improper manner. Okay? So in this serious situation here, if you're dealing in misfeasance, you are performing an inspection, but you're doing it in an improper manner or an illegal manner, or you're not following guidelines, okay? So again, different aspects of that, that's how we're dealing with it, and it's like, okay, you are not following the protocols uh, of something. For example, um, to perform a, a lawful act in an illegal or improper manner. That is misfeasance, okay? So a lawful action would be to do an inspection, and an illegal improper manner would be allowing something to be done that you know is not accurate, okay? Allowing it, knowingly allowing it, performing an action, but knowing that it is not legal and it's not an improper manner to do this. But you're performing the lawful action, okay? Now, misfeasance, and the next one, that's misfeasance. The next one is malfeasance. And in order to look at malfeasance, we have to look it up. And the definition of this is specifically is the wrongdoing or misconduct, especially by a public official. Okay, so its synonyms are misbehavior, misconduct, misdoing, or wrongdoing. Okay, so in this scenario, if I am doing something, I'm a public official, and electrical inspectors would be a public official, and I find out that you passed an inspection that you know was incorrect, and you just let it go, then you're practicing nonfeasance, okay? You know that it's wrong. The act of doing so and accepting that application and moving on is malfeasance, and that is wrongdoing, misconduct by a public official. You're not performing your job adequately. Now, the difference in this and where it gets confusing for people whether or not inspectors are liable or not is ignorance. If they weren't educated enough to know, okay, if they weren't educated enough to know whether something was right or wrong, then they can usually pull the uh, ignorance card. And if they express the ignorance card, it brings it back to me and says, well, then you probably shouldn't have been doing that inspection. Or at least you shouldn't pass something that you don't know. Okay, Now, if you just don't know, then you probably need more education, more training. Okay, or call somebody, or reach out to support line, that type of thing. My point is this. If an electrician doesn't install, I'll give you an example. So I, I listened to a podcast where I actually presented, and I kind of like the podcast. It's kind of one of those not educational, but uh, entertaining type of podcasts. And uh, I mean, you might get some education out of it, but it's, it's more towards the enter- entertainment uh, part of the, of, of the spectrum when it comes to the podcast and electrical industry. And it was kind of acknowledged that 
Um, and, and they gave credence to it, and it was a code change for the 2020. But it says, now, when you have more than four equipment grounding conductors in a box, so it's a box fill, that once you get over four, it used to be that you know, it didn't matter how many equipment grounds you had. They all count as one. And they said, well, when you get to above four, more than four in a box, in the 2020 code now, you have to attribute a volume count for each additional equipment ground that's above four. And it's only one quarter of the volume of the largest con- uh, equipment ground conductor in the box. Okay, so it's only a quarter value that you add. So if I have uh, seven equipment ground conductors in a box, well, I exceed four by three. And if 12 gauge was the largest in the box, okay, that was what you're dealing with. Then the 12 gauge, for example, has a cubic inch value at 314.16b at 2.25. So it's 2.25 times 0.25, and that is 0.5625. Now, how many of those do I have above four? I had three because I told you it was seven. So I do that times three, and that adds an additional 1.6875 to the volume count when you're doing a box fill. Now, they kind of laughed it off and said that, you know what, nobody cares, no inspector looks at it. I'm looking at that differently because that's irrelevant. What's irrelevant to me, what's relevant to me is the relevance of the fact that you need to know how to do it. The solution they had was just get a bigger box. Well, I have a problem with that through the industry in general. When people go to services and they don't want to calculate it out, they just go, just make it a 200. Oh, I'm not sure. Let's do a 400. I just don't know. I don't know how to do it. So let me just, I'll just throw a number at it. When it comes to Boxville, you, 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 do inspectors count this up? No, but some inspectors are good enough where they can look at the number of cables that are coming into the box and they can do the count just by looking at the number of cables. I got four, uh, four 12 twos and two 14 twos. Then I can look at it and tell you that there's three conductors in each one of those cable assemblies. Each one of them are going to have one equipment ground. So how many equipment grounds am I have over four? It's pretty easy to do. So there's no reason for us to, to belittle the minimum safety standard of the NEC because it is a minimum safety standard. Now, I'm not saying here as a code geek and somebody will quickly say, Paul, you don't turn the wrenches anymore, so it's much easier for you to say follow the code. That's bullshit because I do still have an active license in multiple states. I still do service calls. I'm just not the big contractor like I used to be because I've retired from that. I sold those businesses, okay? But I still keep my hands dirty and I still stay in the industry. Um, the, the concept of you better than me or this is just BS. If you're an electrician, you're an electrician. If you're a residential electrician or you're a commercial electrician, you're an electrician. It doesn't matter, okay? It doesn't take a brain surgeon to strip some wires and put it in a terminal. What does take a little bit of brain power is to understand torquing requirements, 110.14D. It is important to understand other concepts that are involved in making that connection. That's where you need some knowledge. So that's, that's where it takes actual knowledge. So I don't like when people belittle people about codes and saying they're too worried about codes, and then they make snarky little comments like, oh, somebody just too codes even. Dude, it's, it's part of your profession. Embrace it. Learn it. Don't shy away from it. And and a lot of times when people do that, it tells me that they're actually not really understanding some of the stuff that they read. And so they belittle it and shake it off and it becomes not important to it or not relevant. Um, That is not how you should look at it. The National Electrical Code is a minimum safety standard. 
understand it, whether or not you want to apply it or not. But in this case, they implied, and I'm not picking on them. I'm using this as an example uh, because I actually kind of like the podcast. I kind of like their interaction, and they have a good chemistry, and it's kind of nice break from from code all the time. Um, but again, at the end of the day, let's remember there's a difference between entertainment and actual code value. All right? And you can say, well, I'm not always wanting to get code value, and that's perfectly fine. I have no problem with that. So then they implied, for example, that um, I would not ever worry about that when it comes to Boxville because an inspector would never see it. They'd never look at it. I'd just get the deepest box and never have to worry about it. Well, again, that's throwing, to me, that's throwing a consequence of do you actually know how to do the calculation? If you know how to do the calculation, it shouldn't take you very long to do it. I can look at a box and see that it holds three switches, and I can see the cables that are going in it, and I realize that none of the jumpers within the box are going to count. None of the wire nuts in a box are going to count. Okay, All the connectors are outside of the box. They're plastic boxes. Then I can look at it and get a pretty good understanding of how many conductors I have in that box. Uh, obviously, none are passing through. We don't have to worry about loops. So, again, inspectors who are educated and trained and, and the remark was that they don't know of anybody that's ever seen it fail. Well, I can tell you right now, I was ahead of multiple jurisdictions, and my guys failed it all the time. You put too many cables in a box, then, again, you're going to be jamming them in there with the device, and it could cause damage to the conductors. You can say, yeah, it might, it might not, or that's bull crap. That's your opinion. But your opinion doesn't mean anything to me because the code is fact. The code, unless it's changed, it is what it is. Now, we can always have a separate opinion of what the code is. But the fact is what's written. Opinion is how it's, it's uh, expressed. But interpretation is based on factual information, at least to your knowledge of factual information, All right, how you're explaining it. And so, again, I hate it when I hear this crap from podcasts and it, be, it, it belittles it to me. Because you can have a good conversation, but don't start bashing the code. You don't have to agree with everything. And you, there's ways that you can change that if you don't agree. If you don't agree, then you can submit a public input or public comment and get part of the system. Otherwise, you really don't have any say. Just do it, shut up, move on, and learn how to do it. Pretty simple, right? Um, but again, so let's get back to topic. So when it comes to that case... They're saying that inspectors wouldn't look anyway. So if I had the box and I was exceeding box fill and I just put the conductors in there, create cables in there, and the inspector doesn't check it, the inspector passes it, okay? And now something later causes a fire. And I can say this from experience, being an expert witness in cases, now somebody like me rolls in. And I look at it and I determine how many conductors are in that box. If I can determine where the fire started, the source of the fire, based on intensity of the fire and location, if I am able to determine what's there and that you violated the minimum safety standard, and if I can attribute it to heat or if I can attribute it to damage that was done because of this, then I'm going to pin it on that. Now, who's responsible for this? The inspector who passed it without understanding how to do a box fill calculation, or was it the electrician who is licensed and signs when they do that license that they're going to install all installations in accordance with the minimum safety standard? Just because the inspector missed it, okay, 
just because the inspector, they can't catch everything. The electrician is still responsible to make sure that it's all compliant installations. And when you make a statement where you don't think that anybody calculates it or nobody cares, the inspectors don't know, maybe in your area, but collectively across the country, we spend a lot of time educating inspectors uh, on being able to do accurate calculations pretty quick. Now, we probably don't need to do do it on a daily basis when you're walking around a job site because you can kind of tell how many cables are going in a box. And if you see a box, it's 20 cubic inches, and you're like, oh, I see it's a 14.2, 14.2, and a 14.3 maybe going in it, then that's not going to exceed the the values of the uh, probably 20 cubic inches. And it's pretty easy to count. Because if I'm looking at it and I'm thinking it's two 14-2s and a 14-3, so I've got a black and a white in each one of the 14-2s, so that's one, two, three, four. And I got a black, white, and a red uh, in the 14-3. So four, five, six, seven. I have an equipment ground. They all count as one, so that is eight. Okay? And I'm not going to have more than three equipment grounds because it's only three cables. So I've got eight of them if they were 14 gauge. Okay? You with me? So I've got eight of them there, and I got a device which has a double volume count. So that's eight, nine, ten conductors. Okay, so two point zero is what the cubic inch volume is. It times ten is twenty cubic inches. So I'm going to be okay with that device in that box dealing with uh, the values when it comes to cubic inches. And I did that pretty quickly. So this doesn't need to be brain surgery because a good inspector can look right at it and tell. Right? It's not that complicated. But to say that, oh, don't worry about it, they would never see it, they'd never understand it, I'll just throw the biggest box in there and never have to worry about it, I have a problem with that because that is literally the concept of throwing everything at it in order to get around something. You don't understand how to do the calculation to determine whether or not it is accurate or not. Right? Now, I'm not saying that you have to become this, this code geek and learn everything about the NEC. What I'm saying is there is a legitimate reason why we have electrical educators out there who choose that as a profession. And their profession is to not do what you do. It's to enhance what you do. And that's why we do it. We do it to enhance your knowledge one tidbit of information at a time. And it could be simply about Boxville. And it's a change that's taking place to the 2020 National Electrical Code. But don't belittle it. It's the National Electrical Code. It's a minimum safety standard. Now, other people will say, Paul, you're just too connected to the NEC, not the real world. Are you foolish? In order to get your license, you have to pass an exam, which is based on the National Electrical Code, right? That's your gateway. They want to know that you understand how to maneuver the National Electrical Code, how to do basic interpretation of what the code says, and meet the rules, securing and supporting all of these type of things. Now, the NEC is not an installation document. It's not. But it does give a lot of information that is germane to an installation, and nothing's to take the place of your of your learning the skill, learning the trade, and, and putting that into action, whether you do formal training or learning under a master for years or under journeyman's for years and you develop this skill, right? Nothing's going to take the place of that. But you do need to know the National Electrical Code, and you do need to stay up on it. I do get tired of hearing people belittle the National Electrical Code. I also get tired of hearing electrical educators belittle the National Electrical Code. It is a minimum safety standard. A document is hard enough to learn and interpret on your own, 
that you, the last thing you want to do is start uh, cherry picking it and, and beating it to death and not, you can have an opinion, okay? You can, you're entitled to it. But your opinion doesn't mean anything when it comes to the National Electrical Code unless you submit change. Now, if you want to change something because you believe your opinion is not just opinion, but it's based on fact, then it's your interpretation of that fact. Then you could submit it to the code-making panels. It's a free process. Go to nfpa.org, get a free account. Once you get a free account, you can submit public inputs electronically, and they will be presented to the code-making panel at the next cycle. We're currently accepting public inputs for the 2023 edition of the National Electrical Code. Right now, you can submit that, and you can get that and get it changed in the code if you feel passionate enough about getting that change. Uh, But you're going to have to substantiate it. Now, let me, again, I often go off on topic, but let me get back. So when a building official or an electrical inspector allows something to pass, okay, allows me to do something, then they have a problem, okay? Because by allowing them to do something, then that is what? If we allow them to do something that know it's wrong and... That means they failure to do what ought to be done, which is to make you do it right, and they know better. That is nonfeasance, okay? A failure to act, especially if they have the knowledge or are presented with the knowledge to do it right, okay? They just turn the other cheek, okay? All right, so that's when they do have the knowledge. Now, what if they don't know and they play ignorant? Then that's a problem, Because when they're licensed or they have credentials that say that they're this, 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 um, then that is different. They try to pull this ignorance card. However, in the cases that I've dealt with, an electrical inspector failed somebody. They complained to the city building official or they complained to the city manager or complained to the mayor. And the mayor forced them to the inspector and everybody to turn the other cheek. That was a failure to act, okay? That was a failure to do what ought to be done to make it right. And if that's the case, they can be guilty of nonfeasance and they can be punishable for that action, okay? We're not talking in ignorant. They just don't know, okay? You can't hold a billing official uh, against this if they don't even know about it, okay? So again, inspectors can also be guilty of nonfeasance because they knew what was right, but they failed to act properly based on that knowledge, okay? Uh, and, if they, they, and again, they will argue ignorance uh, in many cases. I have seen it, but just kind of, you know, that's just kind of usually a, a, a cop-out, but there you go. Now, again, misfeasance is to perform a lawful action, which is an inspector, inspection, in an illegal, improper manner. means not doing your job this would be an example of misfeasance would be a, an inspector who has a lawful duty to inspect a premise but never even walks on the premise like a drive-by. That's another example. And that would be they would be guilty of nonfeasance, but they'd also be guilty of performance of a lawful act, which is an inspection, in an illegal and proper manner means that basically the inspection boards for the jurisdictions that set up inspections or the rules that are given to the jurisdiction, they are not following in them, and they are basically just doing a drive-by, if you will. And in that's the case, they're doing a lawful act of an inspection, which they have a right to do, but they're doing it in proper manner. 
they're not actually not doing it all. So they get coupled with nonfeasance, not doing the right thing, and misfeasance. Now, all of that ends up tapering back to what we call potentially malfeasance. Okay, and so again, we're gonna we're going to make sure that we elaborate on the malfeasance. So malfeasance brings us back to the wrongdoing overall, the misconduct overall by that public official. So it's very easy for them to fall into three categories. They can perform a nonfeasance, misfeasance, and malfeasance coupled by all three of these activities. Okay, Again, the synonyms, which are really important for a malfeasance act by a public official, okay, misconduct, all of those would fall under that malfeasance category, is misbehavior, misconduct, misdoing, or wrongdoing, all of which. Okay, Now, as an electrician, then the onus comes back to you. And again, if I'm called in as an expert witness, I'm basically going to give advice to prosecution to go after everybody involved. Go after the inspections, go after the electrician, because the electrician has a license. Okay, You are supposed to be the skilled person. You have the training, you have the experience, you're doing the install, especially if you know that it's wrong, if you know that you're trying to pass something off. For example, if you're not driving ground rods and you're simply cutting ground rods in half and you're pushing them into the ground and you're hoping the inspector doesn't tug on them, okay, because you hit rock and you don't want to go through the extra trouble, you're trying to pass something off, okay? That is malfeasance, okay? And it's also what? You know that it's wrong. You already know, okay, that it is not what you should be doing, okay? So that is also nonfeasance, okay? Failure to act, failure to do what ought to be done. You need to do it right. You need to follow the rules for the grounding electrode systems that are found in the National Electrical Code. You're doing it. You're, you're, you're actually initiating a, an improper act. So you should be responsible for it. Now, some people will say, again, okay, so, Paul, what if the box fill is, is 20 cubic inches, and I do everything, and I have 21 cubic inches? What in the world is that going to hurt? Okay. Well, in the scheme of the life that we live, probably not. Probably not. But if an inspector failed you, you can cuss him, or would he be right? Absolutely, he'd be right. Because the NEC is a minimum safety standard. There's a reason it's written this way. If you disagree with it, then here's the thing. You can put in, again, a public input and a public comment to justify why you think that it should be okay to put why that box is 20 cubic inches and why you don't think that a 14 gauge should be considered 2.00 cubic inches and a 12 should be 2.25. Present your argument. Otherwise, it's just much easier to just follow the code. Well, that's, uh, that means i got to go to a bigger box, or I might have to go to a deeper box. Yeah, it might be. Absolutely. But you need to know how to do it. Now, if you do it, and you're like, ah, screw it. I'm going to go and try to put a 20-inch, and I'm going to have 21 cubic inches of conductors and count, but I'm just going to let it go and see if the inspector... And the inspector passes it, and everything goes. Um, probably never have a problem. If something ever happens in that box or burns down or something happens and we can tie it back, then you did not follow the minimum safety standard. You didn't. It's kind of like when I pay taxes, I am anal about turning in my tax stuff, right? 
I turn in my stuff because, again, there's stuff that you could say, well, I'm not going to claim that. But I'm anal about it because of the what if. So when I follow the, the National Electrical Code, just follow the code. Now, when people say, well, the inspector says it's okay. Well, I would get that in writing. Because if you know something's different in the code, and the inspector's okay with it, and you're going into this with your fingers crossed, hoping that you're not going to have a problem, then you know it's wrong. But you're just trying to hope that they approve it. And, of course, the, what I get from people is, well, if the AHJ approved it, it's, it's okay. No, that's not true. It might be acceptable to that AHJ. And it might move you on to the next step. And you didn't get a, you didn't get a red tag. You got a green tag. I get it. Does that make it right? No, it doesn't. But you're saying, you know, Paul, you're, you're picking on, I mean, really? One cubic inch? That'd be the same concept of securing and supporting non-metallic sheath cable. Should I turn you down if you secure it and support it every four feet, eight inches? Or if you secure it every four and a half feet or four feet, six inches? Should I give you two inches? Or maybe you do it every five feet when the code says four and a half feet. What's, you know, what's, what's six inches? Is it really going to affect the use of that product? Is it really going to ultimately affect how it functions? No. But it's what the code says. And you have to follow it whether you like it or not. And if something happens, you're going to have experts in the industry or people that know what they're doing come in and they're going to point fingers at you. And you're going to say there's no way that caused a problem. And the expert's going to say, I don't know how you can say that. Because a minimum safety standard is established by a collective group of committees over the years that based on public inputs from the, from the community, from inputs from, from their own expertise that they set at a code panel, have agreed and affirmed that you have to follow these minimum safety standards if it's adopted in your state and used by your local jurisdiction. So, sir, you chose to secure it every five feet, but the code says every four and a half feet for non-metallic sheath cable. So at the end of the day, codes mean something. They're not to be belittled. If you hide behind it by joking about them because you feel inferior to it, then my recommendation is to learn it a little bit better. That way it becomes second nature. That when you're dealing with stuff that you don't even have to think about it, that you can, you can shift from doing non-metallic sheet cable and understanding and securing supporting requirements at 334.30 over to MC cable under 330.30, okay, that you can transition and fluidly know what this is all about. Now, that doesn't mean you have to memorize code. Absolutely not. But it means that you know enough to think about where to go, where to look, how to look it up. That's the important thing. You're not making a guess, okay? I don't like guesses, okay? The only time I like guesses is if it's an educated guess and you're on an exam and you can eliminate two and you make it down to a 50-50, that's an educated guess. Taking a guess at four questions on the exam and, and, and you have 25% chance of getting right, that's a, that is a wild-ass guess. That's not a good guess. You need to at least reduce it down to a 50-50. If you don't know the answer, then you've got a 50-50 shot at getting it right. Okay? But again, at the end of the day, just do what's right. Now, we're not saying again... You've got to, you can say, well, I'm not going to worry about it, Paul. I am not going to worry about one cubic inch on a boxville. That's fine. That is up to you to make that decision. But don't belittle those who know how to do it and those who desire to do it because you're just too lazy to do it. 
And again, for those that do services, for example, do you calculate your service or do you guess at your service? Do you look at every dwelling and say that's a 200 amp or that's 400 amp because that's just to standardize the things that we do? Or do you actually know how to calculate it out? Do you know how to do the standard method? Do you know how to do the optional method? Maybe you're somebody that doesn't believe the standard method is uh, worth doing because we're always going to go to the optional anyway. Well, that's foolish. You have to learn the standard method because that's the catch-all when the optional can't apply. You also remember that your grounded neutral conductor cannot be sized based on the optional method. It's based on the standard method in alliance with other aspects of the code like 250.102c. So you have to think about the concepts of why we do what we do. And it's much easier to approach it that way. So a doctor, for example, doesn't get lost in the minutia of the importance of their surgery because a life depends on it. As an electrician, understanding the minimum safety standard in an installation is all about pride in the minutia of it is making sure that you're giving somebody a truly compliant installation. So that tell you what, if anything happens and an expert's called in, I can sit right there, look them in the face and look them in the eye and say, come at me, big boy, because I did everything in accordance with the minimum safety standard of the National Electrical Code. I did that. And it's hard for them to be able to refute that because you did that. And so just take the time to learn it. Now, if you still want to go with the bigger box all the time, fine. Just do that. You always want to oversize it? Do that. Fine. On an electrical exam, though, for those that are in the industry that forgot what an exam was about, it's usually exams want you to give the best available option. For example, if I'm using 310.12 for 100 to 400 amp single family dwelling calculations, which is the reduced sized service conductor allowance, which used to be 31015B7, If I want to use that, that's optional. I can size conductors based on 31015B16 or 31016, depending on which code cycle. I can do that every day of the week. But if I choose to use this allowance, this, this, this permissive way to do it, then that's my choice. And that's going to result in a smaller service. That's going to resort in smaller conductors. Uh, and again, as far as the overall price, that's more economical to the project. Is it compliant with the code, minimum standard? Absolutely. It's just another way to do it. It's an allowance that the code is letting you use. So if I belittle that because I disagree with it, where's my foundation for that? Where did I get that position from? Did I just make it up? Or do I have something to substantiate my opinion? Okay. So again, closing this one out, building officials, electrical inspectors, and electricians all have a role to play. They can be non-feasus, they can be malfeasus, and that can be misfeasus, all rolled into one, depending on the action or depending on where you are in that approval chain. And whether you know about something and you just ignore it and allow it, or again, whether or not you're ignorant to something, and again, you're going to play that ignorance card, which is Kind of hard to do when you put yourself out there as a certified this or certified that and you're an electrical inspector and you've got training and you've got all this type of stuff like that. So, again, you're putting the okay stamp on an installation. That doesn't remove the responsibility of the electrician, okay? Don't go there as an electrician thinking just because the inspector approves something that it's okay. You're the one that has to make sure that ultimately 
The you have more intimate involvement in that installation than the inspector does. So I'm not trying to throw the inspector under the bus. What I'm saying is they can probably get away with a lot of things in general that they may miss because of the sheer body of the work that they have to do in the time frame they have to do it. Now, where this becomes muddy is if you present something to an inspector and an inspector allows something that they know is not a minimum safety standard. That becomes a problem because now they're allowing something. They're bringing in non-feasance, okay? Their failure to do what ought to be done is to make you do it right. They're accepting something that's below a minimum safety standard. That's what we're talking about. So, again, electricians, you can be held accountable. Inspectors, you can be held accountable. And, again, people say they have immunity. I do not believe they have immunity if they perform something that deals with non-feasus, malfeasus, or misfeasus. I think they can be held accountable. Uh, ignorance, they sometimes can get off of it because they just didn't know or the number of inspections or the time they were on a project or or it wasn't evident. I mean, there's a lot of ways that they can get out of it. But when it comes to the electrician, it is your responsibility ultimately to make sure it's right. If you try to pass something that is not right and it's missed by the inspector, chances are you're still going down if it ever comes to this, okay? Because the inspector's, are going to have the ability to say that I wasn't aware of it, it wasn't brought to my attention, I didn't have enough time. There's so many excuses that they could give. But there is no excuse for the electrician. It is your responsibility to know what the code is, a minimum safety standard. You need to either phone a friend or gain some additional knowledge or don't belittle a minimum code standard just because you think nobody would ever care, nobody looks at it. That's the whole point. Okay, till next time, folks, stay safe, be careful, don't practice misfeasance, nonfeasance, and malfeasance, and stay safe. You've been listening to Electrician Live with your host, Paul 